We're getting down to it in February, Dan. Monday the 27th, tomorrow's the 28th, and Audi 5000 for the month of February. This is Market Call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. I am Guy Adami. Dan Nathan coming to us from Parts Unknown in just a few minutes. Carter Worth of Worth Charting. And let me tell you something, folks. He looks exceptionally good today. Slicked, <laughs> if I may say. Today's episode of Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow is about to say something else um big week for the market big week for a lot of nhl franchises you've seen a lot of teams make moves obviously timo meyer going to the devils is huge kid is a stud that really solidifies their um i would say their run to the stanley cup but the rangers are gonna get patrick kane this week dan and that's also exciting how are you that's super exciting yeah just so you guys know the viewers loyal viewers of market call we're trying to get guy a, a sports talk radio show um so so sooner or later that might happen um he'd be fantastic at it um let's talk about this market man you know like you know it's interesting that um you know there's different market periods that are defined by opening gaps right like where you have um a move from one day to the next where there's mm. like a one percent plus or something like that obviously that would imply some sort of volatility that just persists on the headlines that you see on a day-to-day basis that sort of thing a lot of markets you know that we've been in really a lot of the movement comes like throughout the day right like you know you'll have these sorts of movements so i always find days where you see like a one percent gap in an index really interesting because it has to assume that there's some piece of news that's driving that today there was none guy i mean when you look at this look at the s p um none that i saw um mm-hmm. for instance you know we have this, this is a two-day chart here we have that gap move uh higher you know about one percent or so it's given back about half of that since then i find those days really interesting because they provide the opportunity that either they come in, they fill in that gap, they hold, and then they get back going or they accelerate the opposite way. Right. You know what I mean? To the downside in this case or something like that. So I always find gap days in the markets really interesting. Yeah, definitely days you need to bookmark, as you said. And, you know, I, again, I'm not trying to link causality here, but everybody tries to find a reason for things happening. So I'll take a stab at it. You know, I think these, the, Low, well, the softer than expected durable goods number, I think probably got people excited as counterintuitive as that sounds saying, yep. you know what, things are ratcheting down in a meaningful way. You know, it all comes back to the Fed and what are they going to do? So I think that was part of it. And we'll see. But the reversal, at least we saw an hour and a half or so ago, we almost got down to unchanged. We bounced a little bit, but you're right uh, in your assertion. These are days you want to look at. I'll say this and not that I'm looking to play stock market, but we talked about Facebook a few weeks ago when they reported earnings. You had that gap open around 183. The stock spent a few days between sort of 183 and 190 on huge volume. And that gap that was created to the upside, we now have a little bit of a gap to the downside. Look at Facebook today trading about 170, yeah. lower on the day, actually, which is interesting. So just things to keep in mind, these gaps sometimes rectify themselves in ways that are not um, all that bullish for the market, least gaps to the upside. So we'll, well see how the rest it, of the day shakes out. Yeah, and single names when you get those sorts of gaps on some sort of event. I mean, like the, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's a kind of uh, a mispricing, right, of expectations. And therefore, you know, at some point, if all the shorts cover to the upside, if all the exuberant, the FOMO folks, you know what I mean, chase to the upside, well, sooner or later, you get to a period where there's less news, right? 
right? And therefore, you know, it, it just kind of fills in that gap. And I think on the market, from the market standpoint, um, you know, I think it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because the S and P is is a group of 500 stocks, and all the components, um, you know, have um, a specific weighting in there, and they kind of driving a lot of the action. And so for me, when you see the sort of situation after a few weeks down in the S and P 500, at one point last week, probably giving back half the gains for the year, I think we we're up nearly nine, ten uh, percent or so. Um, you know, when you start getting a gap open, it kind of tells you that people are a little nervous. You look at that chart here, we're kind of straddling that 200-day moving average. Uh, Carter last week very well um, uh, detailed that uptrend that's been in place from the October lows, and that's the sort of battleground. The NASDAQ, not too different of a story here. Um, you know, the S&P is still above that 200-day. The NASDAQ mm -hmm. is right at it. And I'll just mention this. I mean, that uptrend in the NASDAQ guy is year to date. Okay. So the NASDAQ in January was very close to its October lows. It was being weighed on by maybe his tax loss selling and some of the, um, you know, a lot of these big tech names that make up a disproportionate amount of the weight of the NASDAQ 100. Um, but this thing's come off. I think this is at a very crucial gesture or juncture. And I'll just mention this, you know, the sixth largest holding, which is Tesla, about 4%, has this really big investor day on Wednesday. So it'll be really interesting from a sentiment standpoint, you know, investors are kind of holding this thing up. It's up about 100% from its lows in January. And if nothing comes out there, man, I mean, that could like lead to the downside, I think, a little bit. I'm obviously positioned that way. I'm long the TLSQ, and I'm also long calls in that thing, looking out a few weeks here. So I really think that Tesla is going to kind of retrace some of that move. But again, you know, that's what makes a market guy. Yeah, so we'll go backwards real quick. In terms of Tesla, it did, again, I was one of the people that thought you should fade it into earnings. I think the stock was trading either side of 150 into earnings. That proved to be incorrect. And now here we are. But you know, again, you got to trade with what you see in front of you. And that comes down to where did it go? Well, it got right up to the 200-day moving average. We thought 225 was a logical area. Carter talked about that as well. So what is it? What is a significant pullback look like, or what is sort of a um, very orderly pullback look like? Probably about a 50% retracement of the move you just talked about. So back down to about 165. And I think you're right. I think Tesla is a big market sentiment stock without question. It's it's joined the ranks of Apple and Amazon, and to a lesser degree, a Microsoft in terms of how people view the broader market. And in terms of the broader market, you know, that go back to that NASDAQ chart real quick or the S&P charts even better. You know, we got down to 3940 or so on Friday. That yeah. was the 200 day moving average. It made sense that we bounced. We did bounce. And now we're bouncing a little today. But how long does the bounce um, hold on and how how strong is it going to be over the next couple of days? You know, if we give it up entirely today. I think it stands to reason that that uptrend line that you drew is probably going to be violated to the downside. Yeah. And I mean, listen, this is also a lot about rates here, right? So we're going to have Fed speak <clears throat> all week here. Okay. We got some of your faves, Kashkari speaking a couple of times, Lori Logan at the end of the week. I mean, there's like a lot of Fed speak. So it's interesting that you started out by saying, you know, maybe because of slightly weaker than expected durable good numbers, mm -hmm. suggesting that maybe CapEx is sort of fading um, a little bit. And that would be kind of, you know, a sign of a kind of weakening economy, which which would you see an acceleration of maybe some job cuts and you know the like and and these are some of the things that the Fed would like to see the economy cooling a little bit but the fact that the market gaps up one percent on that is just crazy to me but also what's going on here is and you know normally if you had a weakening economy you would have a ten year yield guy that would be reflective of that it wouldn't be looking at pressing multi month. The highs, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. So here we are, you know, we're making this little flag after this rally and you look and see where. 
the 10 year got some support at its 200 day moving average. And I'm just hard pressed to think that if the uh, 10 year gets above 4% for the first time since early November, that S&P, you know, like, like S&P valuations are going to be under pressure here and specifically names like Tesla. When you see 10 year yields continue to move higher, I mean, it's a pretty, you're talking about almost a 50 basis point move. It's actually probably now north of 50 basis point move to the upside from that low we saw the, I don't know, a month or so ago in 10 year yields. Typically, to your point, that would be because the economy seeming is doing better. Yet we're seeing interest rates go higher with softening data. It's somewhat counterintuitive, but it yep. speaks to the problem that the Federal Reserve has. I mean, clearly inflation is still a problem. And that twos, tens, which we'll talk about, you know, that's getting up almost around 90 basis points or so. You know where I stand. I think we're going to 1%. I think just for, you know, just in terms of the media attention, a 1% inversion will gain. That'll capture a lot of people's imagination, I'm sure. Again, I thought it was more in the form of sort of three and a half, four and a half, or maybe three and three quarters, four and three quarters. Maybe it's going to be 4%, 5%. I don't think the levels necessarily matter, although I will say this. The higher the tenure goes, the more bearish, I think, almost by definition, you have to be for the broader market because, again, it's not going higher because the economy is doing better or individual companies are doing better. It's going higher because inflation is still a problem. No doubt about it. I, let's, let's just throw up the 210 spread here. And to your point, Guy, it's very near wides at 88 basis points. We're going to talk a little bit more about this this on our Friday on the tape podcast and kind of what some of the implications. We've got a great uh, viewer question on that. So stick around. And I just think to your point, we'll just highlight the fact that when you get to 1%, which is something that we have seen very infrequently in the history of this uh, yield spread, you know, who knows what happens? I mean, like, that's the point. Why do we kind of focus on some of these like nice big round numbers? Uh, per se, but sometimes, I mean, listen, more and more algos are in control um, of the direction of the markets after like headlines come out or after certain levels get reached and less qualitative judgments about these sorts of things, Guy. I agree with that. And, you know, it's going to capture the attention, I'm sure, of every economist has ever um, been he or her, it's ever been on CNBC. They'll trot those people out to talk about the ramifications. There'll be people that say it doesn't matter. It's not as important. They're looking at other indicators. You know, I know Doug Cass came on. You know, he mentioned that six-month yields, the highest it's been, I want to say, in 15 or so years. That was problematic for him. So I guess it really comes down to this. Depending on your point of view or what you want the market to do, you could look at these things through any different lens. And I don't necessarily want the market to do anything. You know, I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. But what I'll tell you is, you know, a continued inversion in this yield curve, which, by the way, got down to about, 50 basis points or so i think at the end of last year is right back down to the lows going lower which almost by definition is not bullish for the economy yeah fair enough and you know it's interesting so let's bring in carter braxton well, worth here today, of worth way, charting he looks, he looks great he looks great fresh uh, <laughs> fresh out of the shower there, there, there you go pal i mean early on a monday for well late on a monday for a shower i guess well, but you're I probably, never you're probably really working out because it was starting so early but anyway uh, yeah, we got you, man. Well, listen, we want to hit gold and you have some thoughts there. But um, at first, like, give us a sense, you know, with this 10-year yield, you know, that 4%, is that a psychologically important number? And and especially when you're starting to consider the things that are moving the S&P around a little bit, just kind of thoughts if we are above 4% in the not-so-distant future. And let's just say the Fed 
Ed continues with this hawkish sort of stance, at least from, you know, um, the, the commentary that they're giving here. It just feels like the higher for longer um, narrative is something that sooner or later is going to affect stocks. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons for the pullback we've had over the last few weeks. But it, they're still trying to hang on for dear life here. For sure. I mean, I, I there's so many ways to interpret the, you know, the price action the, in, in the bond and the reciprocal, the yield. But the thing that really... I full takeaway that if you assess all the pieces and right, wrong, or indifferent is that I'm surprised how little has happened. Meaning, why isn't it 5%? Markets are ahead. We know this, right? These are just, remember, <laughs> you know, the treasury, call it whatever, any government officials, these are just men and women who put the pants on and put their shirts on in the morning and get up out of the side of the bed. These are just to be clear, right? And, and, and guy, you love this. I mean, Paulson, this is a Goldman Sachs partner had in the teeth of the 08 decline. This man got on the TV and said, we don't see any problems. Mm -hmm. The credit agencies who were paid to see problems, Moody's, they, they didn't see any problems. These guys, guys could not find their glasses when we we're going into it. They see the problems after. Well, the market's ahead of that. They, they're going to raise longer and longer, but the market's already, why are we not at four, five, four, seven? We're sitting here just kind of grinding. It's basically the same level it's been five months ago, six months ago. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think we're taking off. I remain that ultimately we are watching the peak in rates. All right. Fair enough. All right. Listen, Carter, talk to us a little bit, because, again, we're going to hit the dollar in a minute. But um, what you're thinking about in gold, this has been something in GDX, uh, the gold miners ETF. You want to look at a ratio versus the S&P. But this is something you've been active in over the last year. You see this and I know Guy does, too, and I can't wait to get his commentary on this, too. But you guys see this as just a really great risk asset in the sort of macro environment that we've been in over the last couple of years where the Fed has really dictated um, a, a lot of the action as it relates to rates and currencies and the like. And, um, you know, gold um, is, is, is really kind of been a star, I guess, uh, over the last six months or so. But it, it definitely came in a little bit um, over the last few weeks. You want to go you want to think about it going the other way now. Right. I mean, look, it's a great mystery. There half the world think gold goes up because of inflation, half yeah. thinks it's deflation, right? Uh, you hear expressions. I've used it myself. Uh, gold, you know, rates to zero, gold to infinity. I mean, if rates go to zero, does gold go? But at the end of the day, it's still just a trading vehicle. And there are flows, and there's buyer, and there's sellers. And at some point, we try to catch the direction right. Um, today's note to clients was just um, responding to or following up on a January 13th note, which was saying trim. We were going up and up and up and up and the thought was, you know, let's just pull this back a little bit. Now, now that we've sold off, I think you put back on that which was trimmed. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And if you look, Dan, you see an M&A in the space for the first time in a while. Yeah, on the margins, but I think you're going to see continued M&A in the space. I've mentioned it dozens of times on Fast Money on our shows that central banks continue to buy gold back in record amounts. And I think that will continue you see what's going on with the Bank of Japan. I'll use the word that they seem to be flailing a bit in terms of their currency and their bond market. Obviously, you see what's going on here. We talked about the twos, tens inversion. Carter's right. I think people are confused as to why gold works and why it doesn't work. One would think that gold's doing extraordinarily well in this environment, given the fact that inflation is a problem. But it's been somewhat muted because the Fed is trying to fight that inflation. I think gold is taking its cues from there. But I happen to think, again, and I've said this a number of times, you know, the chart has pulled back. You're right. But I still think I'm very constructive here in the price of gold. It's one of those stories that nothing happens until it does. And then when it does, I think people are going to start to wake up. Commitment of traders, which is something commodity traders look at. They're really nobody long in the gold market in terms of hedge funds 
and specs, which is actually very bullish for gold. So we'll see. You know, the, the incremental buyer has been central banks. I think it's just a matter of time before the incremental buyer becomes hedge fund and specs. And when they try to get in in a meaningful way, gold's not nearly as big enough a market uh, to, take in, to take in the kind of inflows that I think it's going to see. All right, so Carter, let's talk about the GDX versus the SPX. You want to look at the gold miners. You also want to look at the Bloomberg Precious uh, Metals, which is it looks like you know eighty percent gold and about twenty percent or so um, silver. And then let's just finish off by looking at the GLD because um, again, that's one that I think a lot of our viewers uh, look to trade here. All right, so this is the relative strength line for gold miners as measured by the GDX mm-hmm. versus all stocks as mm-hmm. measured by the S&P 500. And you could say that looks like nothing. And to be fair, there's maybe nothing going on, but let's annotate it. This is what my eye sees. First iteration. Maybe go back and forth, take them off, put them back. Look at those ovals. Now look at the next iteration. Uh, you know, this is a sequence. We bottomed, you get a big move, and then you check back. You check back, it's underway. It's very similar to checkbacks in 15 and 18. And I think this is about where you get that pivot and you start to go again so we like this i think it's a great pair in layman's terms in layman's terms carter what is the one that accelerates to the upside so what happens under this circumstance obviously i think you think gdx is going higher but does it necessarily mean this spx is going to move as well well you have to get something right and guys making the point that how if you're going to get this line which is going down which means gold miners are underperforming the stock market, gold mining stocks, underperforming stocks generally. If the black line goes up, it can only be one of three ways. It means that the S&P is dead flat and gold is gold mining stocks are doing very well, right? Or, of course, you can have a little bit of both, right? Which is, but let's do the reciprocal is gold is dead flat and S&P collapses, mm-hmm. right? Or you get a little bit of both, which is S&P kind of coming down, gold miners kind of coming up, Um my thinking is it can be any of those scenarios. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to get anything dead flat. That's not how markets work. So two of those three scenarios are kind of unlikely. I just think that you play this as a pair. And while pairs have, let me just say, pure pairs are, are relatively safe when you're doing Coke, Pepsi, Walmart, Target, right? This is not really a pure pair. So you can get this wrong both sides. Uh, you can put this ratio trade on and you can get it really wrong. Uh, but I think you're covered by the fact that you've had such a give back in the ratio. Uh, that now is about where you get the balance. All right, let's think about gold, um, you know, the precious metal here a little bit because you have this uh, chart and that looks like a very Mm well-defined 20 year 20 year uptrend right and you mm-hmm. see you, you see that downtrend from the post financial crisis highs a little bit and and again it feels like we're kind of in the middle part of this pennant a, a, a little mm-hmm. bit here but you All think that, that check back a, a, is is here to be bought and maybe a retest of that downtrend is in play yeah i mean one could say you know come on you stuck that green arrow in there if you didn't have that green arrow who says that's not a pair of two fair enough um but but you have to make a conclusion at some point but the point of of annotating a chart, putting in lines, is to try to uh, see uh, levels, reference points that will help one make decisions or to show it to others who might not have seen it, right? And so one, it's incontestable, it's a 20-year uptrend line. Now this give back of the earlier this year, we didn't quite get down all the way to that well-defined uptrend line. Uh, we ricocheted and we are kind of in the midpoint, to some extent one could say it's a pair of twos, um, but you make your bets. And my bet is that ultimately, you look at the next iteration, it's the same chart, but that we, this is what's going on, right? That we're basically in the process of ultimately continuing higher. 
And there's something nice about this. Now, to be fair, you must know that this index, it changes the weightings. If silver has a big move, silver can get up to 25% or 27% mm -hmm. and gold comes down. But it's basically a two-thirds, one-third, you know, three-quarters, one-quarter kind of thing, which it should be, right? Because gold is a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more important. So. Yeah, and it's interesting because silver really has gone nowhere now. You had a That's brief right. move down in silver to the upside, but it's given some of it back. But to Carter's point, you know, you could get one of these um, moves in silver as well. But this bet... Um, that I know you're going to illustrate a, an options trade on, Dan, is really predicated on gold doing something. And I think we both think that's going to happen. And we can take a look at the GLD chart just to sort of round this entire thing out and look and see where we've been, where we are, and where we seemingly are going. And, you know, we're back down to levels that were resistance back in the summer. You know, resi past resistance becomes support. I think we're finding it. There were some people I think thought we'd get down maybe to the moving average. I'm not certain that's going to be the case. And I think we hold here and bounce, Carter. I mean, that's the way I look yeah. at this chart. No, I, I think that's right. And and one thing to point out, you know, the, the absolute level of anything is what it is. Um, but, of course, inflation is an important part of long-term investing. So just to put this in context, we're sitting here at 18, 20 an ounce, whatever. It could be 18, 50, 1800. But right now, on a, an inflation-adjusted basis, gold is the same level as it was in December 1980. Now, just to put that in perspective, in December of 1980, gold was $455 mm -hmm. an ounce. And here we are at $18.20 an ounce. But it's the same level if you strip out the ongoing effect of inflation. So the notion somehow gold is expensive or gold's gone. So if you, it's the same price it was 42 years ago. Right? Yeah. And there's, there's no great runaway. You know, to put that in perspective, oil's the same thing. I mean, oil, so ironically, oil can't stay this high. We get into recession. Oil's $76 a barrel. It's the same level as it was in December of 84. It was $34 a barrel. Is, is yeah. oil really that rich? Is that high? No. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I think of this as gold, and I go back and forth between your technical take, guys' fundamental take, and it's it just kind of – it aligns to me as a, as a good trading vehicle like we just kind of described here and kind of given what I think might happen in the S&P over the next month and a half or so. <clears throat> I want to get some long exposure here. And, you know, I was looking at the options markets, looking out to April expiration. Today with the GLD, the ETF that tracks gold, was trading about 169 You could buy the April 170 182 call spread paying about three dollars for that buying one of the april 170 calls for about 350 to open selling to open one of the april 182 calls at about 50 cents so again that costs you about three percent uh three dollars or a little less than two percent of the etf price i have profits up to nine dollars between 173 and 182 with a max gain of nine above 182 and i've lost up to three dollars between 170 and 173 with a max loss of three below 170 so this trade idea Again, it risks less than 2% of the ETF price. I have a break even up a little less than 2.5% of the ETF price. And I have a max gain of about 5.3% of the ETF if it's up near those February highs. So that was up around 182. That's why I chose that kind of 170, 182. So I'm risking three to possibly make nine if the GL's up, GLD is up nearly 8% in a little less than two months. So I really like the risk reward of this trade. I like the technical levels. I like the fact that what I think as far as economic data and where we see um, kind of just sentiment moving um, in and around risk assets that should be exposed to um, rates and inflation and the like. And again, when I'm doing long premium directional 
trades, I am basically using a 50% mental stop um, to the downside. So for instance, if this thing were to go nowhere or the GLD were to go lower, well, the $3 in premium that I paid for this $12 wide uh, call spread is about a dollar and a half or so, about 50% loss. I'm going to cut that because I just don't want to see that uh, move to zero. And, and again, to the upside, you know, I might look to take profits on half this position if it's a double at some point between now um, and April expiration. So that's how yeah. I'm going to trade these guys call here. No, that's right. And just in terms of the math, you know, if you get a double in something, if you take off half, you're in the rest of the trade for free. And to your point, I think when you look for trades like this, you're looking at least two to one. In other words, you risk one to make two. I mean, that's the low end of things. But a three to one, the risk reward sets up really well, Dan. And I think you've given yourself enough time in terms of the April exploration to take into consideration a lot of things that we think are going to happen over the next few weeks. So this makes a lot of sense to me. I'm sure Carter is aligned with it as well. Yeah, Carter, real quickly, do you think that sort of move, a little less than 8% between now, April 21st is the expiration for this trade. So here we are, we're almost at March 1st or so. Does that seem like a big move yeah. um, for, no, it doesn't. Okay, Not give, give us your take you, on this you know, one it, real quickly. It, it, it's, so you just for beta for an individual equity, equity needs news, but this is, this is uh, something that can come to life. Commodities have a way of doing that. It's a nothing move if things get going. All right, fair enough. All right, listen, Carter Braxtonworth, we really appreciate you joining us here on our Monday edition of Market Call. I know you're going to be back with us on Wednesday. Yep. You're going to be spending a bit more time with us there. So hopefully, maybe you guys tweet some stuff at us or email us, contact at Risk Reversal, um, and maybe Carter will do some, uh, he'll take some requests on Wednesday. I don't right. know. We, we have some time here. So thank you so much, Carter. We appreciate it. All right, man. Bye. Carter's the man. Uh, love his hair looks great. You love it. You love it. You love it when his when his technical take lines up with your fundamental take on the GLD. I mean, and, and I, I that do. was a great question on the um, on the ratio, the GDX versus the SPX, because sometimes I think a lot of institutional like people. Carter talks to some of the biggest fund managers out there. Right. And they like ratio charts. That makes a lot of sense. I know that a lot of retail investors or traders, you know, they're thinking about things in absolute terms, but I think it's another great way to actually help you work yourself into a trade idea or an investment because the way he specked it out makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. listen, there's a scenario where the S and P takes a dump and the GDX goes sideways. That ratio works, right? There's a way where the GDX takes off the S and P goes where that ratio works and it can work small degrees. I guess the one thing it does take away is the likelihood that the S and P rips and the GDX gets killed. That's not a great outcome. That's no, not probably great, not. But I mean, in terms of what we think is going to happen, it all sort of lines up. And I asked the question just, and I knew Carter was obviously equipped to answer just to point out to people, you know, what you're rooting for, what you're looking to happen under those circumstances. And I think he's right. I mean, very rarely do things go nowhere. So, you basically eliminate one scenario. And the scenario that I think is going to happen is, you know, the S&P backs up from here and GDX probably has a meaningful move higher on the back of the underlying commodity. By the way, you know, Carter said something before we look at the dollar chart, throw up that nat gas chart because he said yeah. commodities have a way of moving. You know, nothing happens until it does. And listen, without question, uh, we were early in terms and early in our business is wrong. But look at the move in nat gas over the last week or so. That's exactly what he's talking about. I think he thought it was going to happen a little sooner that it's done, but I don't think this is over by any stretch of the imagination. So you look at this nat gas chart and you see how quickly things can reverse. That brings me back to GDX and gold. Again, I'm not suggesting they're at all uh, related. I'm just pointing out how quickly things can turn in the commodities world. 
Yeah, that thing got really ugly, man. And so that's been a pretty fierce rally over the last few trading days. Let's look at crude really quickly again, because this is one where, you know, we do have a dollar that's kind of moved a bit uh, higher over the last, you know, few weeks or so. When you look at crude, we've been talking about this thing. I and mean, it really is, it, it just doesn't act particularly well. Um, and, and again, I think some of the headlines out there from a geopolitical standpoint should be supportive mm -hmm. of it, especially this whole COVID China reopening trade and all that sort of stuff does, doesn't act well here and i just think a breakout one way or the other or a breakdown uh, might be really interesting might be really telling for the commodity complex guy because it really would be putting a bit of a bookend to this kind of two-year period where crude oil has been one of the most i mean talked about risk assets on the planet you know um and and not just among uh stock market you know monkeys like you and me but it's been really an important driver for a lot of price action in, in lots of different assets you know people will look at this and say we're building a base you know, we're sort of going sideways over the last few months or so, getting ready for the next leg higher. And a lot of other people say you have a sloping moving average down, can't get out of its own way. A lot of good news. It, commodity goes nowhere. Probably going to take the next leg lower. I can see both sides of that equation. I'm obviously more in the bull camp. Uh, a lot of people over the weekend, I read some people on CNBC today talking about the potential for crude again to get back on its horse to the upside. I don't know what the event will be to drive it there. But I know there are a lot of people still talking about supply demand imbalances and it still exists. Obviously, you know, we've basically dwindled our SPR down to virtually nothing. At some point that's going to have to uh, find its way back to being refilled. Yeah. We'll see what that does to the price, if anything. So there, listen, there are a lot of things to be negative about. There are a lot of things to be bullish about and the underlying commodity goes nowhere, but I'll say this quickly you know, the stocks continue to sort of hang in there. I think I saw a shell upgrade earlier today. Valero's having a decent day. So the underlying equities that are linked to the commodity um, are still hanging in there. They're still holding their own, dude. Yep. Well, you've had a good call on that. And, and again, you've been a reload buyer on checkbacks in the XLE and the OIH. And I think that has made sense. I, I, I do worry that it's A, particularly crowded and B, we start to see, you know, the contribution to S&P earnings drop off. Our main man, um, you know, John Butters, who runs the Earnings Insight blog over there at FactSet, has been tracking this in late Q2, Q3 earnings, you know, for, for, for the S&P earnings uh, for energy sector is going to go negative year over year. So, um, you know, as far as growth is concerned. All right. Right before uh, we get out of here tomorrow, before the opening guy is Target. And we mm -hmm. talked about this a little bit on our On the Tape podcast that um, drops this afternoon with Liz um, Young of SoFi here. Uh, but let's just look at this. Let's look at the charts because we were talking about the fundamentals a little bit um, on the on the tape. That's one of the ways we like to differentiate our programming people. This is meant to be very heavy graphic here. The implied move, this is a one day move guy, about 8% or about $14 in either direction. And, and if you look at this thing, this is a brilliant chart, okay? Look at that March low, okay, that we had, okay? That was a, a disappointing kind of quarter. The market was selling off a little quickly. It got back on its horse, made new 52-week highs, and then we had that May uh, drawdown. And that was a huge gap. It was like a 25% gap or something. It was talking about inventories and it was a whole host of issues there. But look at that. It's really caught at resistance um, right around that $180 level. And then it's found support in that kind of 140 level. You see the 50-day moving average. It's about to cross above the 200-day, mm -hmm. which has been shifting lower. Kind of an interesting setup. At some point, this is going to have an explosive breakout. But man, oh man, it really feels like it wants to go back and retest that support down there in 140-ish. 
People are going to look at this, and you can hear it. I can almost see and hear the commentary about golden crosses and the 50 cross in the 200 day and how bullish that is and how Brian Cornell's a genius and Target is cheap compared to Walmart. And all those things are probably true. Uh, The reality is, though, they've really failed a couple times now over the last year or so in terms of inventory. And their product mix doesn't really line up in the current environment that we find ourselves in, which is the main reason – They trade at a discount to Walmart. So I'm here. This is one of those things where I think you sort of bring your popcorn. If you're bullish, what you're hoping for, I think, is this stock to flush and to retest those support levels, maybe on a day where we trade four or five times normal volume. And then maybe you'll have a long side trading opportunity. And if you're bearish, maybe you're hoping that they surprise people and we gap up to the upper end of that range and fail sort of at the 180 level, which we have a number of times. But right here, honestly, I think it's a coin flip. And I'm not trying to sort of duck. It just, that's what it feels like to me. I don't disagree with you. And when you think about an 8% implied move in either direction, just using options to kind of express that view, it's it's just going to be a hard way to do it. So I'd almost rather wait and kind of see, because to your point with the thing at one, you know, at the levels that it's trading at right now, it, it, it would have to be a huge beat and raise for it to blow out above that 180 level guy. And I just don't, I'm not sure based on what we heard from Walmart last week and, and Home Depot in general, just, just about the consumer that that's in it right here. And I would also say that if it were to kind of miss and guide lower and it's not that bad and it's kind of retesting that, you know, like it's below 150, maybe you start nibbling at this That's thing right. because maybe the valuation does become, you know, again, like, listen, taking shots into earnings, they often end up being very binary sorts of situations. And to the point with an 8% one day implied move, um, there's not too many ways to express this where you can't get hurt. You can even get the direction right and you can lose money in the options market. One last thing, guy, before we get out of here, Neil Griffin, um, and, and, and maybe you want to put this up, Jacob, if you can. GLD only has a beta of 0.35. People want to deploy tail risk strategies after the tail risk occurs. Just ask Meb Favor. So I don't know what that means about asking Meb Favor. I know he's got a podcast, um, and I think he's a pretty smart guy here. I just say this about when you have a beta that low relative to the S&P 500, and we talked about the potential for an 8% move in little less than two months, you know, the options in GLD are actually suggesting that they're cheap. I just told you between now and April expiration, you know, like I can buy the at the money call, the 170 strike for a little more than 2% of the ETF price. And think about that on single names. So if you ever were to get a big macro move that confirms the idea that gold should take off, that's a really cheap way to do it. That's just one way that I'm thinking about it. And also, if I'm going to use a mental stop of about $1.50, I'm risking about 1%, okay? So like, think about that, to have that sort of exposure. So I like the risk reward there, but that's a really great point, Neil, and I appreciate you uh, putting it out there. Yeah, well, maybe we should have Meb Faber on the On The Tape podcast. And, yes, you know, we should. We'll extend an invitation. Love your backdrop. Love Carter Braxtonworth. I love the audience. Um, <laughs> and again, check out the podcast that drops. I don't know if it dropped yet or will drop in the next hour or so that we did with EY from SoFi earlier today. It's dropped. I'm seeing that, Jacob said. You can catch that, Dan, at your favorite podcast store or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Apparently, there's a distinction. I want to thank FactSet, our sponsor, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, Tuesday, the last day of February. Strange things happen at the end of the month, Dan. I'll see you later. All right. See you later. Thanks. Thanks.